Sermons are an old genre. Actually, sort of a funny phenomenon, sermons are. As a woman was leaving church in all seriousness and sincerity, surely she didn't mean for it to sound this way. She remarked to her pastor who asked about her shut-in husband, Oh, oh, he's doing fine. He watches your sermon every week on television, and he seems to enjoy them a lot more now that he's lost his mind. (laughs) Surely she didn't mean that the way it sounded. I really tried. I mean, the pastor tried not to be offended by that. We continue this morning in Matthew. Matthew's gospel is sometimes outlined by five great discourses or sayings or teachings of Jesus. And the first of the five begins here in our chapter. It is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' best-known sermon. The crowds are gathering there. His popularity is growing. And as all who delivered a sermon in those days, he takes a seat. This time in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, the crowd has gathered. Well, he begins to speak. There on a hillside 2,000 years ago, Jesus described what his followers would look like, announcing already the arrival of the kingdom of God, or in Matthew, it's called the kingdom of heaven, so as not to misuse the name of God. And in this message, Jesus presents his counterculture, how it is that God's people ought to look different than the people of the world. He begins by describing the characteristics of a Christian And they don't sound anything like the characteristics of this world. They don't describe a successful person in Western culture, to be sure. To be a a follower of Christ is to have a different set of values. To be someone who's walking behind Jesus is to have a different set of priorities. Well, our allegiance is to God and the world's allegiance is is to itself. Here in what we call commonly the Beatitudes are the qualities, the characteristics that we as followers of Jesus, citizens of the kingdom, should surely have. Now this is no evangelistic plea. It's a sermon that Jesus preached to Christian men and women. Those who hear this sermon have already found the the pearl of great price. They've already received an invitation to the wedding feast. They are those who belong already to the new creation, to the new world that God has begun in Jesus. Look at verse 2 and 3. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is makarios. It's a a Greek word that means divine happiness, divine joy, a really deep joy. It comes to those who are poor in spirit. In Old Testament language, those who were poor are those who had 
no refuge but God. They had no material means. God was their only refuge. The psalmist says about himself, I'm the poor man who cried out to God in his need, and the Lord heard me and saved me out of my troubles. To be poor in spirit is to acknowledge our spiritual poverty, our bankruptcy before God. He only who is reduced to nothing in himself relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. A divine happiness is available to those who realize their own abilities will never save them. Those who, well, quite frankly, we recognize that we ourselves are nothing. Well, turn over to, to Luke chapter 18 in verse 10. We have two men going up to the temple to pray. Two men went up the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people here, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. Well, as he continues, he begins to build himself up. But look at verse 13. But the tax gatherer standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breath saying, God, have be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Back to Matthew chapter 5. The, Pharisee, the tax gatherer realizes that he is spiritually bankrupt. He just begs for the mercy of God because within himself he is absolutely nothing. Now, I want you to listen carefully. See if you recognize any of these names. Owen D. Young. Pierre Laval. Q.S. Johnson. James F. Burns or Harlow Curtis. Did you recognize any of those names? Well, you should have. According to Time Magazine, these are the men of the year. This is the person of the year. Those names are the names of the individuals who changed the planet more than anybody else. Anybody recognize Harlow Curtis? I have no idea who he is. Fame is so fleeting. You can even be called the most important person on the planet by Time Magazine for none of us to even know your name. Blessed are the poor in spirit who realize they are nothing. God has nothing to say to the self-righteous. Unless you humble yourself before him in the dust, unless you confess your iniquities and your sin, the gate to heaven, which is opened only for sinners saved by grace, will shall be shut against you forever. We must all come to the point where we realize that we ourselves are nothing. If you ever 
come by and see a, a turtle sitting on a fence post, you can be sure that he received some help to get up there. If you ever see a man or a woman who's part of the kingdom of God, you can be sure he or she received some help to get there. Turtles can't climb to the top of fence posts alone, and broken humanity cannot reach the portals of heaven by our own strength. We must be poor in spirit. Forgiven souls, by definition, are humble souls. They cannot forget all that they have done and, and the freedom they find in forgiveness. They are brands plucked from the fire. They are debtors who cannot pay for themselves. They are captives who would have remained in prison forever if he hadn't come by and set them free. They are sheep wandering in the wilderness, ready to perish until the good shepherd came by and found them. Oh, there may be some proud saints but if they are, they are the most inconsistent creatures on the planet. And they're the ones most likely to stumble and pierce their own hearts. Well, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If we're poor in spirit, we receive the kingdom of God. If we mourn, we are comforted. Isaiah, Isaiah 61, 2 says, the Messiah, when he arrives, will comfort those who mourn. Mourners are those who bewail their own sinfulness. The more you and I are exposed to the purity of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the more we remember the waywardness of our old soul. You remember Isaiah when he found himself in chapter 6, in the presence of the Lord, as the Lord's train was filling the temple, he, he fell. He, he could, woe is me, I am a sinful man. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst people of unclean lips. You remember that. You remember the apostle Paul when he found the presence of God? Wretched man am I, who will rescue me from this body of death? Or you remember in the last book of the canon, John in his apocalypse revelation, when he's in the presence of the resurrected Jesus, the Son of Man, he falls at his feet as if he is a dead man. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. And remember that Jesus is the one who's paid the price. Here's a, a third one, verse 5. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth, meaning the ultimate earth, the, the new heaven, the new earth. Blessed are those who are gentle. Your, your translation might say, blessed are those who are meek. There are two people in Scripture who are called gentle. Do you know who they are? Oddly enough, the first person ever called gentle in Scripture is Moses. The first great deliverer of God's people, the one who stood before Pharaoh and thundered on behalf of God, let my people go. Moses, the first deliverer, is gentle. The second person in Scripture to be described as gentle is Jesus. 
the second Moses, the second deliverer. Like Moses led them from the bondage of Egypt, Jesus leads us, the second Moses, from the bondage of sin and death. Jesus, who says to his disciples, no one takes my life, I lay it down and I will take it up again. He is gentle, however, as he rides in on the back of the baby donkey. To be scribed as meek or gentle, that's, that's a wonderful thing. It's a real mature place should any of us ever reach it in our spiritual walk, being arrogant, being haughty, being self-assured, being demanding, needing attention, are all stuff of infant believers. We can all hope that one day we'll reach that state of spiritual gentleness, spiritual meekness, where we are givers and not takers. You see, gentleness doesn't come from weakness. It comes from being strong. It, it reminds us of the stallion who has hundreds of pounds of muscle on his body, but because of the bit, his power is under control. Those who are gentle in Christ are not powerless, but their power is under the control of God. Meekness is a controlled desire to see the interest of others advance before one's own interest. If the world were writing today, the world would say, blessed are the strong, the shrewd, those who stand up for their own rights, those who refuse to be taken advantage of, those who will always look out for every slight, those who demand great success. No, blessed are the gentle. Well, there's another one, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You might put it this way. Blessed are those whose greatest desire is to do what God desires. The ambition of God's people is not material, but rather it is spiritual. It is righteousness. Righteousness. The Greek text is translated this way. Blessed are those who keep on hungering. It's a continual sense. Those who keep on thirsting for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who want to do what pleases God. There's another one, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. To be merciful is to show compassion for those in need. To be in the kingdom of God is to be one who has freely enjoyed the mercy and the forgiveness of God, and therefore we are ready to give mercy and forgiveness for others. In fact, in this same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us to pray, God, forgive us our trespasses even as we forgive those who trespass against us. Blessed are those who are merciful, those who give grace to others, even as God has given grace to them. It is so tempting to want to give people what they deserve. It is so hard to be willing to give people grace. There's a sign posted on the fence of a convent in Marion County, California. Now, this is a convent, nuns, in, in Marion County, California, and it says on the fence outside the convent, absolutely no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Signed, Sisters of Mercy. 
might be some incongruity there. I don't know. Sisters of mercy. What kind of sister of mercy are you? Or there's Mother Teresa, on the other hand, who was gathered with kings and presidents and statesmen from all over the world. And there they were in their crowns and jewels and their silks and suits. And Mother Teresa wore a simple little sari held together by a crooked safety pin. And one of the noblemen began to speak to her about her work, working with the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, and said, surely how much discouraged she must be. She has so much success, so lack of success in ministry. The poor remain the poor in Calcutta. And Mother Teresa said to the nobleman who lamented her lack of success, no, I'm not discouraged. You see, God has not called me to a ministry of success. God has called me to a ministry of of mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful. There's another one, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To be pure in heart is to be single-minded. It is to say that we have focused on one thing and one thing alone. We have one passion. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does God require of those who would come up the holy hill and worship this morning? Psalm 24 tells us, clean hands and a pure heart. Blessed are those who are pure of heart. Greatness requires focus. Winston Churchill said in June of 1941 to the House of Commons, I have but one purpose, the destruction of Hitler, and my life is simplified thereby. British scholar William Barclay claimed a man will never become outstandingly good at anything unless the thing is his ruling passion. All of us must have something by which we say, for me to live is this. What is your passion? Blessed are those who have a pure heart focused on the kingdom of God, for they shall See God. Verse 9, the next one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, so they shall be called the sons of the children of God. We all love a fight, don't we? I mean, let's just admit it. Even when we're in grade school, when the scuffle starts, everybody gathers around the playground and encourages it to go on. We live in a very violent culture. Boxing is not good enough anymore. We put men in fence cages and we allow them with almost no gloves to kick and elbow and destroy each other in fierce battle. Everybody loves violence. No, blessed are the makers of peace. You know her, you know him. There's no tension before she enters, before he enters the room, but they function best in tension, and so when they enter the room, they will create some tension because that's the muddy water in which they must swim. No, blessed are the peacemakers. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln. A man came to employ his legal services he was bringing a lawsuit for $2.50 against an impoverished debtor. Lincoln tried to convince him 
you know, the guy probably doesn't have the ability to pay. Let's just let it go. It's not going to do any good. I don't want to take your money. The man was bent on revenge. He was going to collect his $2.50. And, well, Lincoln said, if you insist, I'll take the case, but my legal fee will be $10. The man said, that's not a problem. He wanted to collect that $2.50. So Lincoln took the $10, and he gave five of the $10 to the impoverished debtor and asked him to pay the $2.50, which, of course, he gladly did. Well, what's odd enough is the gentleman who brought the suit was so happy with the result. Now, you think about it. Lincoln walked off with $5. The impoverished debtor paid $2.50 but made $2.50, and the man lost $7.50. But, you know, he was able to hold that man's feet to the fire, wasn't he? Blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 10, another one, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Surely Jesus must have seen the storm already brewing at the beginning of his ministry. He knew that suffering was ahead for himself, and likewise, therefore, suffering would fall at the feet of his followers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Dr. Lynn Sweet remembered he was a guest speaker at another church to speak on the Beatitudes. They'd had the meal, and they were serving the coffee at this time, and the pastor who invited him to speak at the banquet leaned over, leaned over and said to Lynn Sweet, to Dr. Sweet, Lynn, should we let the people enjoy themselves a little longer, or we better begin with your message now? <laughs> well, he gave his message on the Beatitudes. He began to talk about being meek and gentle and pure of heart. At the end, a lady came over and said to Dr. Sweet, if that's what you call the Beatitudes, I'll leave them to you. Here was a Christian who could not have cared less about the words of Jesus. She had no desire to hunger or thirst for righteousness. She had no desire to be any more than she already was. Least of all, she had no desire to be challenged, to be different than she was. If God had such strange tastes as described in the sermon by Jesus, if he was really going to go for those who were meek and those who were persecuted and those who were hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if he was for the peacemakers, well, it'd be well and fine with her if some others wanted to join God there. Find some blessedness in being odd. They were certainly free to do so. But the Beatitudes were not for her. What about you today? Are the Beatitudes for you today? Listen to what happens to those who follow the Beatitudes. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted. 
They shall inherit the new earth. They shall be satisfied. They shall receive mercy. They shall see God. They shall be called the children of God. And finally, in case you missed it, he says, the last one, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you interested in being poor in spirit? Admitting you are nothing in yourself? Are you willing to mourn over your sins where you have broken God's commands? Are you willing to be gentle and meek, withholding power often? Are you willing to hunger and thirst after the things that please God? Are you willing to give grace where no grace is deserved? Are you willing to be single-minded for the purposes of God? Are you willing to make peace? Are you willing to be persecuted for the kingdom? Let us pray. Oh, God, these words are nothing like what our culture calls for us to be like. Our cultural calls for us to make our enemies pay. For us to raise strife when we're wronged. For us to have so many interests that we're not good at anything. You call us to be peacemakers, to be grace givers, to be merciful to hunger and thirst for the things that please you, O oh God. These are the words of Jesus. Perhaps someone made the mistake that day of asking him, so what would it be like to be your disciple? And then we found out. Oh God, forgive us. We have all missed the mark so badly. Blessed are those who look like this. Amen.